me invite you to turn with me once more to the book of First Kings as we consider the ministry of Elijah, the prophet, First Kings. Tonight we turn to chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, it's a long chapter, but we read it now in full. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you're saying, go, say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. It will come about when I leave you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? And now are you saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here? He will then kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. So Elijah said 
to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now, Father, um, I pray that Your hand, the hand of the Lord, would be upon me tonight as I try to open this passage to your people and be upon us as we take it in. 
that we might know you, that we might believe you, that we might leave tonight saying, the Lord, he is God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It must have been an amazing day. It surely was an amazing day. 42 months without rain, and then this amazing uh, contest between God and Baal and the great fire falling from heaven and then the great rains falling from heaven after all that drought. It's an amazing passage, an amazing series of events. And the way I want to uh, unpack it tonight is to look at five key characters in this real life drama. I want us to look at Obadiah, at Ahab, at Elijah, at Baal, and at the Lord. Obadiah, the king's servant, Ahab, the king, Elijah, the prophet, Baal, who's actually only an imaginary character in these events, and the Lord himself. And our headings will go like this. We're going to think about Obadiah's fear. We're going to think about Ahab's forsaking, Elijah's faith, Baal's falsehood, and the Lord's fire. And we begin tonight with Obadiah's fear. Obadiah's fear. I first uh, really took careful notice of this man, Obadiah, as I read to my children his story retold and taught from in a children's book called uh, Old Testament, the Old Testament Hall of Fame by a lady called Catherine McKenzie. And one of the things that she brings out about Obadiah is that he certainly had occasion to fear man. Obadiah had occasion certainly to fear man. In fact, I think he probably did fear man in the persons of Ahab and Jezebel. Because when we look at the little flashback that we're given here in verse 4, it's hard to imagine uh, Queen Jezebel on this killing spree and Obadiah hiding and feeding the very sorts of people that she's out to kill without Obadiah being just a little bit afraid of what might happen to him. And he surely seems fearful of Ahab when he speaks to Elijah down in verses 9 through 14. You can almost hear his knees knocking together, it seems to me, as he says to Elijah, what sin have I committed that you're giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now are you, now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here? It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? And now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. Obadiah doesn't sound like a courageous superhero 
in those verses. To me, he sounds like he's afraid. And I think he had likely been afraid as well when he did what was recorded up in verse 4. And surely such fear is understandable given what he was up against. None of us would be surprised to find someone like Obadiah afraid. None of us would probably blame him for being afraid. But here's the key about Obadiah from verse 3. However afraid Obadiah was of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, he feared the Lord more. However afraid he was of the king and queen, he feared the Lord more. And of course, he feared the Lord in a different sense than that in which he feared Ahab and Jezebel. His willingness to hide and feed the prophets is given here in verse 4 as evidence of what is said about him at the end of verse 3, namely that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Proof of that? Well, when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. And not only is verse 4 evidence of what is said at the end of verse 3, but surely what is said at the end of verse 3 is the very reason for what happened in verse 4. It was because Obadiah feared the Lord greatly in verse 3 that he was able, in spite of any fear he may have of Jezebel, to do in verse 4 what would honor the Lord. It was because he feared the Lord, because he had reverence for the Lord, because he desired to honor the Lord, because he desired to please the Lord, because he trembled at the thought of dishonoring and displeasing the Lord. All of these things which are part of what it means to fear the Lord, it was because of these things, it was because he feared the Lord greatly that he was able, in spite of any fear he may have had of the queen, to do what would honor the Lord. He feared the Lord more than he feared man. And you and I must have the same fear of the Lord. You and I must fear the Lord more than we fear man. We must revere and desire to honor and desire to please the Lord. And yes, we must even tremble at the thought of dishonoring the Lord more than we are afraid of the Jezebels and the Ahabs in our lives. And having said that, let me ask you, is there an Ahab in your life? Is there a Jezebel in your life? Somebody who strikes fear into your heart, someone before whom you tremble? Fear the Lord, my friend, more than you fear Ahab, more than you fear Jezebel. Revere the Lord, desire to please the Lord, desire to honor the Lord more than you tremble at your Ahab or your Jezebel. And tremble at the thought of dishonoring the Lord more than you tremble at any mere man. Your fears, if you were to stand up tonight and tell us about them, may be understandable. We may hear about your fears and say, well, we get it. We don't blame you for being afraid. Even though we, we know that in Christ we should not be afraid, yet sometimes we are. But if you are afraid at some Ahab or some Jezebel in your life, fear the Lord more. Verse 
And I hope tonight that our sighting of him here in this marvelous chapter, 1 Kings 18, will aid you in doing so. The God who has presented us in this chapter is a God worth fearing. So Obadiah's fear. But then secondly, we need to think about Ahab's forsaking. Ahab's forsaking. And I draw that word forsaking from verse 18, where Elijah says to Ahab, You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. And of course, Ahab's forsaking of the commandments of the Lord means that he is thereby forsaking the Lord himself. And that forsaking of the Lord and the, his forsaking of the commandments of the Lord can be seen not only in his Baal worship, which is mentioned in verse 18, which is a blatant violation of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, but Ahab's forsaking of the commandments of the Lord and thereby forsaking the Lord himself can be seen also elsewhere in this chapter. You can see it in his allowing his wife, verse 4, to destroy the prophets of the Lord, which shows in Ahab a gross disregard, not only for the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, but also a gross disregard for the word of God in general, which these now dead prophets had preached. If Ahab had regarded the word of the Lord, he would not have broken the sixth commandment and he wouldn't have allowed his wife or he wouldn't have allowed his wife to break the Sixth Commandment, and he wouldn't have allowed his wife to wipe out all these men who preached the very word of the Lord. We can also see the Ahab's forsaking of the Lord and his commandments in the way Obadiah, in verses 9-14, through 14, knows how Ahab is going to respond if Obadiah should cross him in this matter concerning Elijah. And we can see Ahab's forsaking of the Lord in the way he speaks to the Lord's prophet in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Now, this statement here, Is this you, you troubler of Israel, shows Ahab's forsaking of the Lord in two different ways, it seems to me. One, it shows his disrespect for God's prophet, which is a disrespect for the one for whom that prophet speaks. He's forsaking the Lord by disregarding, disrespecting the Lord's mouthpiece. But then secondly, I suspect that Ahab says what he says here, that he calls Elijah, you troubler of Israel, because it had been Elijah in chapter 17, verse 1, who had announced the current crippling drought that the nation is plagued with. And so Ahab, instead of receiving God's discipline, which is what the drought actually was, and Ahab, instead of learning from and repenting, learning from the discipline and repenting, Ahab instead blames the messenger. And in doing so, he shows either utter disrespect for God's discipline or utter ignorance of God's ways. 
Ahab has forsaken the Lord. And I just urge you to take warning from him. Take warning from his idolatry. Take warning from his disregard for human life. Take warning from Ahab's disrespect for God's word. Take warning from his poor reaction to God's discipline. Don't even take the first step down Ahab's path. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. How blessed is the man who does not follow the ways of Ahab, but who delights in God's word. Obadiah's fear, Ahab's forsaking. Thirdly, we should notice in this passage, Elijah's faith. Elijah's faith. It hasn't rained in 42 months. And yet, God says in verse 1, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. And Elijah goes and shows himself to Ahab. And Elijah says to Ahab, after the great um, Contest on Mount Carmel, Elijah says to Ahab in verse 41, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. It hasn't rained in 42 months. And Elijah says to Ahab, It's going to rain hard. And Elijah prays in verses 42 through 44 until God sends a cloud. And Elijah does all of these things. Elijah goes. Elijah speaks to Ahab the way he speaks. Elijah keeps praying until God sends a cloud because Elijah believes God. Elijah has faith in God's word spoken to him in verse 1. And I hope you have faith in God's word spoken to you. Enough that you can act on it. Enough that you keep praying until you see the Lord's deliverance and the Lord's answers. Also, it must have taken a great deal of faith for Elijah to have suggested this colossal contest in verses 19 and following. The king is there and 850 pagan prophets are there, and we're told in verse 19 that all Israel was invited to be there, and there was a great crowd of other people we can see as we read along in the the passage. This great crowd is gathered, and in front of them all, Elijah poses this great public contest between the Lord and Baal. And I say that it must have taken great faith for him to propose such. I wonder if Elijah 
wrestled with the question that I think I would have wrestled with on an occasion like this, maybe that you would have wrestled with, namely, what if the Lord doesn't answer? What if, we, what if I set all of this up to prove that the Lord is the true God, and what if I pray for God to rain down from heaven with fire, and what if he doesn't do it? And I may have, if I was in Elijah's spot, I may have wrestled with that question, not because I don't believe that God is, and not because I don't believe that he is the only true God. I do believe those things, but I still may have wrestled with the question, what if God doesn't answer because I don't always believe like I should that God answers prayer? So often, Jesus could say to me, you of little faith. So often I pray, I find, because I know I ought to pray. Christians are supposed to pray, but I don't always pray with a certainty of being heard and answered. And so I'm not sure I'd have trusted God enough to do what Elijah did here, to lay everything on the line, to to put the whole shooting match out there, as they say, with the fulcrum of the shooting match being whether or not my God will answer prayer. Now, I'm not saying that my lack of faith, or if you're, if you're identifying with it, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying that that's sometimes the reality for us. We don't trust God like we should. But for Elijah, at least on this occasion, he had great faith. Great trust that his God would indeed answer by fire. Then Elijah said to the people, verses 22 and following, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up, and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox, and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. It's an amazing contest he sets up here. Fire doesn't fall from heaven every day, does it? But Elijah makes that the challenge because Elijah has that much faith in his God. And I hope that our sighting of this God here in this amazing chapter will help us to trust him the same way. Obadiah's fear, Ahab's forsaking, Elijah's faith. Fourthly, we need to consider Baal's falsehood. Baal's falsehood. Verses 25 through 28, So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you. Prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And they took the ox which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. 
It came about at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. All this hoopla and dancing around, and Baal doesn't answer. Because Baal can't answer. Because Baal is a false god. For the Lord says in Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. And so there is no Vishnu, and there is no Zeus, and there is no Ra, and there is no Odin, and there is no Baal. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Now, there may have been times when demons masqueraded as Baal, just like people have and people still do mistake demons for other gods as well. But the Lord doesn't let the demons do any masquerading here. And so Baal is left to himself, as it were. Baal is shown for who he really is, which is, frankly, nothing. There was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Now, in our culture, we are usually not so prone to worship gods like Baal, gods that don't actually exist. Rather, we tend to make our idols out of things that do exist, and which we don't call gods, and we don't actually think there's some spiritual being uh, inside them or behind them, but things which we can very much treat like gods and turn into gods by looking to them the way we ought to be looking to God, by looking to them for hope, by looking to them for our comfort, by looking to them for reassurance and serenity and so on. Things like food, Things like sports teams, loved ones, money, other people, gadgets, screens, social media, and so on. But these things cannot, in any ultimate sense, give what we are asking of them either. Baal could not give what was being asked of him, and our little gods cannot in an ultimate sense give what we ask of them. They don't have everlasting arms to put underneath you. They cannot promise, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Our little gods cannot say to you that he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But just like the Lord could do what Baal could not do, so he can also do what our gods cannot do. And the God who answers, the God who delivers, 
The God who acts, he is God. Let him be so in your life. Obadiah's fear, Ahab's forsaking, Elijah's faith, Baal's falsehood, and finally, we need to consider tonight the Lord's fire. The Lord's fire, verses 36 through 39. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now Elijah sets this whole contest up, verse 37, because he is jealous for his God. Let it be known that you are God in Israel. And perhaps that's why he had such confidence to pray for this great thing. He knew he wasn't asking it foolishly or selfishly or just to try to get uh, God to answer when he snapped his fingers and do a miracle. He was praying. He was thinking. He called this contest together because he is jealous for his God. And God, for his part, God enters the field of play, as it were, and takes up his flaming javelin and throws it and hits the bullseye that Elijah has set up because he is jealous himself. He is jealous for his glory himself. He would have his people know that the Lord, he is God. That the Lord, he is God. Not Baal, but the Lord. God does all of this because he would have the people of Israel no longer hesitate between two opinions, but follow him and lay the axe to the shins of their idols. And brothers and sisters, he would have us do the same. He would have us say, the Lord, he is God. He would have us no longer hesitate between two opinions. He would have us put the axe to our idols as well. Can we read of a God like this, the God who answers by fire and continue to hesitate between two opinions? Continue to coddle our idols? Do you have an idol in your life? Someone, something that you are turning to in place of God? What is it for you? And as you call it up in your mind's eye, ask yourself, can this person, can this thing compare to the God of 1 Kings 18? (laughs) Can it compare to the God of... Of Elijah, the God who answers by fire, can it compare to the God of Mount Carmel? And so, how long will I hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, 
follow him. But if Baal, follow him. That's how the Lord wants us to reason. He's a jealous God. He's like a husband, jealous for his bride's faithfulness, jealous for his bride's unmixed allegiance. And my friends, we have proof that he deserves that allegiance, not only in his sending fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice, but we have proof that he deserves our allegiance in the sending of his son from heaven to be the sacrifice. And so, because of his power on display in 1 Kings 18, and because of his love shown us in the gospel of his son, let us no longer hesitate between two opinions.